Hello, Eastside family. Good morning. It's so great to have people in the building. <laughs> and if you are watching us online, good morning to you too as well. It is so great to have you joining with us today. My name is Jan, and my husband and I are the lead pastors here. And today, I am so blessed to be able to honor all of the fathers in our lives. Uh, you know, we live in a world that doesn't often have very nice things to say about them. Uh, so it is my privilege to pay tribute to them because they are fearless warriors. I want to acknowledge all fathers today, biological fathers, adoptive fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers, spiritual fathers, uncles, brothers, and every male who has stepped up and stepped in to support us throughout our lives. We want to honor you today. Yeah, go ahead and give them a hand. They deserve it. Thank you for stepping up and cutting that umbilical cord. Even though you had no formal medical training and you felt like passing out. For changing a diaper, bottle feeding a baby, or holding a crying child so that a mother could get a few extra minutes of sleep. For teaching us how to ride bikes with and without training wheels, and for not freaking out when we drove it into the side of your car. For teaching us to catch a ball and not yelling at us when we threw it back, catching you off guard, knocking you to the ground with the most intense pain of your life. Thank you for unplugging plugged toilets and unclogging clogged drains, even though it wasn't your hair, because let's face it, you don't really have any. Thank you for killing the scary bugs and for not making us or making fun of us when those bugs turned out to be pieces of lint. <laughs> Thank you for teaching us how to drive or at least for not being afraid to ride in the car with us while we were learning. For buffing out the grays when we miscalculated the dimensions of that cement post. For driving all night until you miraculously found us when we had lost our way, for doing the lion's share of the driving on long road trips so that the rest of us could catch a tight 12-hour nap, for pumping gas in the freezing cold while the rest of us stayed warm and cozy inside the car. Thank you for working a thankless job so that you could bring home the bacon to provide a roof over our heads and to put food on the table. Thank you also for cooking the bacon so that we didn't burn our arms on the flying grease. Thank you for loaning us money, even when mom said no, and for not remembering that you loaned it when we forgot to pay you back. Thank you for cutting the grass, fixing the flat tires, filing our taxes, and for letting us experiment with your power tools. Thank you for the near misses, the crazy fixes, and the most creative uses of superglue and duct tape that anyone could ever imagine. Today, I want to say it loud and proud, we deeply love, honor, and respect you. And we are so grateful for who you are 
and for who God made you to be. So thank you so much. By the way, I took all of those from my personal life, so those are real things. <laughs> uh, today, I also have the privilege of talking to you about my father. You call him Ron or Pastor Ron, but I call him Dad. It would be weird if you called him Dad, and it kind of feels weird and a little bit disrespectful if I call him Ron. Uh, so, Dad is a name that only my sister and I get to call him. For many of you, your dad was like a superhero when you were growing up. But for me, my dad was like a character straight out of the Bible. When I was little, I remember I watched him fight a dog so that a little girl could cross the street and get to her house safely. And I can't remember the type of dog. I'm thinking it was a German Shepherd. It was big, and it was very, very aggressive. And I watched him fight this dog. And I would then go to church, and I would go to Sunday school, and I would hear stories about David in the Old Testament and how he fought a lion and he fought a bear. And I would think, wow, uh, my dad fought a dog. So I'd be like, that's just like David, you know? He fought a lion and a bear, and that dog was scary, so that's kind of like a lion and a bear. So my dad did that too. And then there was this time when my dad picked up a snake by its tail to get it away from us. And uh, <clears throat> I would go to church, and I would hear about Moses and how Moses would pick up the snake by its tail, and it would turn into a staff. And I would think, oh my gosh, my dad did that too. <laughs> he must be from the Bible. I and mean, that's just what I thought. I was four. Don't judge me. I'm just trying to bring you into my world, okay? That's what a four-year-old thinks, right? So I was four, and I thought that my dad was straight from the Bible. But when I was four, I developed an extreme fear of water, an extreme fear. It was so extreme, actually, that I even had trouble taking baths in the bathtub. Like, I was terrified. I was just terrified. And uh, you see, I'll tell you why I, I, was, I was fearful. A few years prior to that, uh, a blockbuster summer movie had been released. Can you guess what it was called? No, you can't. I will tell you. It was called Jaws. Do you remember this movie? All right. If you don't, I will inform you of this movie. This movie was so uh, terrifying and so fear-inducing that even though I hadn't watched the movie because I was little and that would be inappropriate, uh, it didn't matter. It still impacted me. It was it, it was, in fact, let me just put it to you this way. If you were even alive during the era when this movie was released, you were terrified and tragically impacted by it. After that movie came out, absolutely everybody on planet Earth knew that Jaws was in the water. Any water. And so people literally were crazy with fear. So crazy that um, some people actually even 
started like hunting sharks, you know, and just, we got to get that bad guy, you know, Jaws is out there and we got to get him. He's a bad guy. He's a killer, you know. So this is the, the atmosphere that was going on during the time. So, you know, if you, my friend, happen to be floating alone in a rubber inner tube in the middle of the ocean, um, I'm sorry to say you might as well have taken a bath in a bucket of fish chum and giving yourself a bunch of paper cuts because you were about to find yourself on the ugly side of a shark feeding frenzy. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> it was like ringing the dinner bell for sharks. And so everybody had that mindset. You know, water means jaws. Jaws bad. You know, jaws, you're out there alone, you're, you're a goner, you know. So the problem is, is that this was the pop culture atmosphere at the time. And so while it impacted uh, adults negatively, I think it really really tragically impacted children because then they were terrified of all kinds of water. So when the swimming instructor asked me to leap off of the side of the pool into the water, I had a complete meltdown. I was completely frozen in fear. I was terrified. I mean, I am talking heart racing, blood pressure pounding, uh, armpit sweating, you know, pants peeing fear. I was afraid. I was horrified. I mean, and a four-year-old shouldn't sweat, people. They don't really have sweat glands at that age. They shouldn't be sweating, you know. And, and I, was, I was so terrified. I couldn't do it. And it, it didn't help that somebody had painted a whale on the bottom of the pool. So the picture of this whale just added to the intense scene that was playing out in my mind. And all I could envision was this angry set of jaws coming out of the deep and like biting my legs, you know? So the instructor's like, jump in. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do it, you know? I just can't, you know? And, and I would freak out. Now, I, I couldn't make that leap unless my dad was in the water with his arms stretched out towards me. Amen. And when my dad would stand in the water with his arms stretched out at me, even though I was afraid... I could do it. I trusted him. I trusted that he would catch me. There's just something about his arms. There was just something about my dad's arms. It wasn't my mom's arms. It was my dad's arms. They were bigger than mine. They felt strong. And when I was in his arms, I felt completely safe. I just knew that my dad wouldn't let the shark get me. In my mind, dad trumped Jaws. In fact, I trusted him so much that it didn't even bother me if he walked me into the deep end of the pool and carried me in there. 
I trusted him that much. I'm telling you, I trusted him with my life. With my life. It was my dad. And if he had me, I knew he could beat up that shark. And I was going to be okay. And I know what you're thinking. Besides that I'm crazy. Besides that, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's so sweet. Isn't that cute? What a great story. We're so happy for you. <laughs> you and your dad. But what happens when that's not the story? What happens when you can't relate to that story because that's not how your story went. What about those who lost their dad or those whose dad lost his way or those who never even had the chance to get to know their dad? What about those children? And what about when you grow up? And now you no longer have to worry about shark-infested swimming pools. Uh, now you have to face the whole world. And it's scary. The world is a scary place. And there's upheaval. There's social and political unrest. There's uncertainty. There's a lot of distressing things. And, and how do we handle that? Because it's, it's really not appropriate or even comfortable jumping into your dad's arms when you're an adult, right? It's not quite the same as when you're a child. So who do we run to now when we're afraid? And where can we find those arms? Where can we find those strong arms that are going to catch us and they're going to reassure us and we're going to feel safe and we're going to feel secure in them. Where do we find those arms? Well, this, my friends, is the best part of the story. Because this is where God gets to be the hero of the story. Amen. This is where God gets to be the hero of the story. Do you want to hear how he gets to be the hero? Let me just tell you. I once read a biblical scholar had discovered 8,810 promises in the Bible. And out of that 8,810 promises, 7,487 of those promises were directly ones that God made for us, for us as men and women, as children. They were direct promises from him to us. Now, let me just highlight a few of them. You may have heard of these promises. God said he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. God said he is your strength. God said he will never leave you. God said he plans to prosper you. God said he hears your prayers. God said he will fight for you. God said he will give you peace. God said he will always love you. These are just a few of those promises, and you can look up the rest of them. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, and many of you have heard this scripture before, it says, trust in the Lord with 
all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What does it mean to trust God with our, all of our heart? What does that look like? What are we even talking about? Well, the Hebrew word for trust in this scripture means to have confidence, to be brave, to be bold, to be secure, to feel safe. And the word for heart in this passage means your intellect or your, and your will and your emotions and your feelings. So it's talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind is your thoughts. Everything that goes through these two ears. It's your will. It's your decisions that you make. It's your choices that you make. It's, it's how you conduct yourself and why you conduct yourself that way. And your feelings and your emotions, we're talking about your soul. We're talking about the essence of who you are as a person. And so if I were to take those definitions and plug them into the scripture, this is what it would say. Have confidence in the Lord. Be bold and secure. Feel safe with all of your thoughts, all of your desires, all of your decisions, and all of your feelings, and don't depend on your own knowledge. Now, how do we know that we can trust God? How do we know that? And how do we know that God is a good father? Well, how did I know that I could trust my father in the pool? There's actually a formula to build trust. And I'm kind of a math nerd so I like formulas. So let me share the formula with you. This is a real thing. This is a real formula of how you can build trust. And here's how it goes. My words and my actions match over time. My words, so what I say, and my actions or what I do match consistently over time. That is the formula for building trust. And so I knew that I could trust my dad in the pool because he had proven his trustworthiness over time. I saw him fight the dog. And I saw him wrangle the snake. So when I got to the pool... I knew he could handle the shark. So when he told me, trust me, go ahead, I'll catch you, I believed him because his words and his actions matched over time. So let me ask you this. Did you believe me when I told you about my dad? Do you believe that he's a good father? Do you believe that he's trustworthy? My dad, Ron? Yeah, you do. You believe what I said because I told you, right? Well, if you believe me and what I say about my father, how much more 
then can we believe Jesus and what he says about his father? You believe me, and I'm human, full of errors, just like everyone else, uh, not holy, you know, uh, not perfect. Yeah, but you trusted me when I told you about my dad. Imagine now how much greater we can trust Jesus and what he says. Because he's not full of errors. He's completely perfect. And because Jesus is God's son, we can read in the Bible and see what kind of a relationship Jesus had with his father. And when we read about the kind of relationship they had and what Jesus has to say about his father, we can also have confidence that God is worthy of trust. Let me give you a couple of examples. First example, it happens in John chapter 11. Verses 41 and 42. Let me set the scene for you. This is the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is someone whom Jesus dearly loved. And Lazarus had died. And he had been dead for a few days. And Jesus was on his way to see the tomb. And to uh, be there for Mary and Martha. And um, he was grieving. Because Lazarus had died. And so he was groaning in his spirit. And he, you know, sometimes when you're so um, upset, you don't have words to say. And so all you can do is groan because you're just the depth of your sorrow. It's so deep. You just don't even have words to 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 form how you're feeling, and so you groan. And so we know that Jesus deeply cared for Lazarus and was so um, sorrowful, and, but he, was, he didn't even have the words to pray. And so he was praying, but not necessarily with words. He was praying with groanings and utterings in the Spirit. So Jesus is doing this, and he's communicating with his Father, how do I know that? Because Jesus publicly told everyone who was standing outside of the tomb that that's what he was doing. He said, I thank you, Father, because you've heard me. And you always hear me when I pray. Why did Jesus have to say that? If he's talking to God, he doesn't have to notify God that God is hearing him. God already knows that he's hearing him. They're having a conversation. He did it for your benefit and for my benefit and for the benefit of the people that were standing outside of the tomb. He said, I thank you, Father, for you hurt my prayers, and you always hear my prayers. He made that statement publicly so that we know that God hears our prayers. See, God hears our prayers because he heard his son pray. And so we know that he'll do the same for us. The next example is found in a, a bunch of different verses in John. 
John chapter 5, verse 19, John chapter 8, verse 42, and John chapter 12 and verse 49. Now, don't get crazy because I'll explain to you what I mean. We can, we can see that God directs and guides Jesus because in each one of those verses, this is what Jesus declares. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only go where the Father tells me to go, and I only say what the Father tells me to say. So we know that God was guiding and directing Jesus as he was on the earth. And if he's doing it for Jesus, he can do it for us. So we know that God will lead us, he will guide us, and he will direct us because he sent Jesus where he wanted him to go and he told him what he wanted him to do and he told him what he wanted him to say and so we can have confidence that if God did that for his son Jesus he does that for us Amen. today and the final example I have for you is we can know that God can be trusted with our lives because Jesus trusted him with his life even to the point of death. You see, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is preparing himself to be crucified. And he prays a very specific and profound prayer to his Father in heaven. And he says, Father, if there can be any way that you can make this cup pass from me if you can take this cup away from me now God is not trying to take Jesus's drink away from him at the dinner table what does he mean by take this cup from me what he's talking about is the cup of suffering that he's about ready to take he's about ready to be crucified and he is begging his father if there's any way that we can redeem mankind without me having to suffer the way I'm about to suffer Lord can you please father take this cup of suffering away from me but then he follows it with this incredibly profound phrase. And he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but yours. If there's any way you can take this cup, please do it. Yet if you can't. Your will be done. Ladies and gentlemen, the most ultimate sign of surrender and trust is surrendering your will. The greatest sign that you are trusting is that you surrender your will. And Jesus did it to the point of death. That's how much he trusted his father to the point of death, enough to surrender his will, to obey God's will. That's an incredible amount of trust. How could Jesus trust his father that much? Because God had proven his trustworthiness over time. Over time, 
God's words and his actions matched. When Jesus was coming onto the scene, there was a lunatic leader that was going to kill him. So God hid him in a stable to be born in secret, in private, away from that lunatic who couldn't find him. When Jesus was 12 and he found himself in the temple and he was talking and debating with old religious staunchy leaders that knew the Bible inside and out, God was with him and gave him the words to speak. So he knew how to communicate at the age of 12 with grown adults who had studied the scriptures their entire lives. And when Jesus was about ready to lay down his life, he knew that God would be with him even unto death. A lifetime of God proving that his words matched his actions is how Jesus knows he can trust his father. And if Jesus can trust his father, then we can trust his father. And if my earthly father can provide comfort and security and a safe place for me, how much more then can my heavenly father give me? How much greater the comfort the security, the peace that surpasses all understanding. How about the eternal security that I know I'll be with him forever? How about the reassurance that I know I'm never going to be alone because he didn't leave Jesus. He's not going to leave me. And here's the best part of this entire message today. The best part is that no matter what kind of a relationship you had or didn't have with your earthly father, you can have that kind of a trusting relationship with your heavenly father. You see, no one goes fatherless in the kingdom of God. I told you this at the beginning. He said, I am a father to the fatherless. I am a defender of widows. Nobody goes fatherless in the kingdom of God. Nobody. And God is a good father. We've seen how much Jesus loved him and trusted him as a dad. And because of Jesus, we get to have that same relationship with God. He paved the way so that we could be in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if your Heavenly Father has you in his arms, then you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. Would you just bow your heads this morning?
I want you to think back to the times in your life when you may have felt overwhelmed or vulnerable. Maybe you were a small child like me and you were standing on the side of an enormous pool. Your heart was racing and you were panicking. I want you to think about your issue, whatever it is. Maybe it's a trust issue. Whatever it is that has held you back from taking that leap. Maybe it's the pain of being disappointed. Maybe you're angry because you feel like you were forgotten or you didn't get something that everyone else got. Or maybe it's the fear of not feeling protected. What is it that has hindered you from taking that leap towards God? What has prevented you from having a trusting and real relationship with God? Or what is it that you're holding back from God because you weren't sure you could trust Him with it? What pain, what bitterness, what is your wound that you haven't been able to let go of? And now I want you to picture arms, strong arms, and they're stretched out towards you right now. And God is ready and He's waiting. In fact, He's been waiting all along. He's been standing there through every moment with his arms stretched out, waiting for you. Choosing to wait for you to jump. Are you willing to let go of whatever has been holding you back and take that leap towards him today. If you are, just in your own words, tell him. You can say, God, I'm letting go. I'm letting go and I'm jumping in. I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm not going to hold it anymore. I'm letting it go. And I'm jumping in. Here I go right now. And I want to reassure you that God has got you. He's not going to drop you. He's not going to let you drown. He's not going to let the shark get you. And even if he carries you into the deep end of the pool, you're still going to be safe. You're still going to be safe in his arms. Father, I thank you for your heart, your father heart towards your children. Thank you, Father, that because of Jesus, we get to have that kind of relationship with you. God, you are a mender of broken hearts.
You are a healer of deep wounds. God, you are a restorer of relationship. It is your heart's desire to embrace us and to help us to feel secure and safe. It is your heart's desire to carry us. It is your heart's desire to reach for us and to catch us. And I thank you for that. And I pray right now for every person that hears my voice that they would embrace you today like they never have before. Lord, they let go of whatever has kept them from leaping. And they would jump in with both feet, full confidence, totally bold, totally secure, knowing that no matter what, you've got them. I pray that you would heal every broken heart. And Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage every male today. Lord, let them walk proudly today with their head held high, knowing that God gifted them and created them to be strong and to be uh, that arm of strength for their family, to be the protector, that they can do it, and that we're proud of them and we respect them, and that you're proud of them and you respect them, and you love them beyond anything. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, nothing would hold us back in our relationship with you. Nothing would hold us back anymore. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us online. Give somebody, some, some dad a hug today and thank them. Thank them for being who God made them to be and, and embrace your heavenly father because he's embracing you. Thank you. God bless you guys.